0: Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Maniker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. Jonathan Miller is the CEO of Miller Samuel, a real estate appraisal firm in New York. He's also one of the world's leading authorities on real estate valuations. His market reports are relied upon as the last word in real estate trends. Because many observers have noticed the correlation between the luxury real estate markets in places like Miami, London, and New York, and the fluctuations in the global art market, I sat down with Jonathan to get a better sense of the mechanics of the real estate market. Uh, Jonathan Miller, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Um, There seems to be a rough correlation between the art market and the New York real estate market. One presumes we're talking, especially at the high end, about some uh, similar dynamics, uh, outside buyers buying for investment, people buying as um, second and third homes, uh, a a sort of global base of buyers. So the place I thought we could start, since there's a lot to cover in that, is at the very, very high end. We noticed in the art market from around 2012 to um, 2015, the top of the art market got higher and higher. About the same time, first in London, but then very much in New York, we saw the top of the real estate market here get higher and higher. You started seeing uh, 70, 80, 90 million dollar apartments. We started seeing 60, 70, 120, 180 million dollar paintings. Uh, so I, I also noticed that, that all stopped at the end of 2015. And I wanted to ask, in both the art market and in the real estate market, so I wanted to ask you, what's behind the slowdown in the real estate side?
1: Uh, sure, uh, first of all, thank you for uh, inviting me uh, to speak with you. What's been an interesting dynamic and one of, uh, one of my uh, favorite tells uh, of covering the housing market when we get a little frothy, especially as we skew to the high end, and I'll give you some, reasons why we skewed, but is this idea that as soon as the development community starts talking about their projects as art, uh, I immediately that's a red flag, that, that they've run out of reasons to distinguish uh, from, other, from other projects. It's usually a sign that there's a lot of supply, because they're picking something very intangible, and that's the only basis for buying a $100 million apartment.
0: And it's a status object rather than a home.
1: Correct. And and I think um, you know, look, the the phenomenon we've had in this last cycle, and I've been doing this thirty years, and every development boom or housing boom has ratcheted up in price. And one of the one of the reasons for these what we call the super luxury phenomenon this go around, we had in Manhattan, we had a hundred million dollar transaction There's a contract right now supposedly for 250 million on Central Park south at 220 uh, there is uh, there is a number of listings around the country that were priced there's a, in fact there's a sort of an off-market uh, property in LA that's at 500 million there's a 1 point I think it's three billion dollar property um, in Europe um, th- so so we've Really come off the rails in terms of past patterns, but really I think what's happened is, uh, after the financial crisis, we've um, we have a sort of a, a, a an army of global investors that are seeking out uh, higher returns in a low interest rate world, and the aversion to financial markets. Has caused an investment pattern in hard assets. So, real estate was, you know, number one. You know, we have all kinds of other things. Uh, you know, art, as you said, uh, uh, antique cars, many, many other hard L- assets. Large
0: gemstones.
1: Absolutely. And um, and then at the same time, uh, you have there's been a tremendous amount of wealth creation skewed to the high end of the you know the high end of the demographic scale, and so. uh, And then on top of that, you have, you know, if you look at the regions of the world, you know, we're based in New York, but you look at the regions of the world like Europe, um, even before Brexit, we have, they've been on a slippery slope with the euro. Um, You look at China with their decreasing um, performance of their economy um, uh, and this mad rush to try to extract funds and invest them, diversify elsewhere you have uh, you have South America, especially Brazil, the implosion of their economy uh, that you know was once sort of the star of South America. All these investors are trying to preserve capital they're trying to um, they're trying to park their money somewhere. What I, what I call the phenomenon that we're seeing in New York and Vancouver was the really the first one uh, to see this was. Uh, we're building the world's most expensive bank safety deposit boxes, right? You you build it, you put your art and other treasures in it, and you rarely visit. And and I think that's the phenomenon we're in now.
0: In in Vancouver, they used to say that they had 20 years of taking money out of Hong Kong, and then uh, uh, they expect another 20 years of taking money out of China. Right. And so much of the development, the, the mainland Chinese uh, got very smart to this and said instead of Buying other people's apartments in Vancouver, we might as well build our own. Right. and they created their own um, development. It's a,
1: it's a, it's actually sort of a sub market of the overall market, and now you're getting a backlash. So Vancouver or the province that they're in initiated a tax on foreign buyers, and it's pretty harsh. It's something like 15 percent, uh, and okay. we're, and and you know there, it's been talked about in New York, but New York seems to be very against this because. This is an international city. Tourism is at has been at record levels for 12 years. Uh, it would be counterproductive and somewhat contr- contradictory to the branding of the city.
0: So did it shut off this uh, last 8, 10 months because there was a sudden oversupply with all these new developments? Or, you know, around the same time, there was a lot of talk about using... Um, uh, the, the property market as a way to uh, shift funds and cracking down on those ca- ca- crash at cash transactions. And I was curious whether that had put a pall on the top of the real estate ma- market uh, or it was just the oversupply.
1: So I look at this lat- latest development cycle, which has been largely skewed north of $5 million. Half of all new development is above $5 million, which is unprecedented. That's that represents the top seven or eight percent of this market, uh, and th- those those are big numbers. The the um, so there's a couple of reasons why it ran out of gas, and and the first is that um, and just for context, I see sort of the peak of the development market here was in mid 2014. Only the beginning of 2016 is when this became openly discussed, and this is not unusual we see this with uh, you know there's a saying in housing that housing prices are sticky on the downside because sellers are still attached to the they're anchored to the old high right i'm sure it's similar in in the art world and um, and so what we saw was uh, you know in this cycle the commercial banks the big national bankers that uh, didn't provide the construction financing that they typically do because they're, they're still mired in the housing bubble, sort of the, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the after effect, the hangover period, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of things they're going on. They're cautious. Right, they're cautious, and also interest rates are too low in terms of the spread is so narrow that they're very risk averse on top of, there's been you know, continuing fines out of the Department of Justice, uh, loan buybacks from Fannie Mae, and so they, they've been sort of under siege and rebuilding other lines of business. So Wall Street stepped in and and what we had you know it's Wall Street like hedge funds, sovereign wealth funds, private capital flooded in to fill the void because now you you have this you know uh, army of investors, as I said, looking seeking out you know higher returns in a low interest rate world. Um, and they're
0: cash buyers too. And, right? and
1: they're skewed to the top so they're not so for example, sales, over five million dollars in Manhattan are over eighty percent cash buyer, all cash buyers, so it, it, it sidesteps around the, the tight credit conditions that still exist for mortgage financing since the uh, the financial crisis and began in two thousand and eight and I kid you not January first it was because it 's a new budget year or whatever it is the uh, the Wall Street tends to operate in silos, and what we saw, and this is anecdotal, but it was, it was, it was amazing, I, you know, I, I was sort of on the front line of this, is that they woke up, they opened the windows in their silos and they said, oh my goodness, there are seven identical buildings across the street, and all of a sudden it was panic, and so what's happened now is that um, fin- financing for new construction is. Next to impossible for these super luxury condominium projects. And so, you know, right now we're looking at uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, five and a half years of overbuilding that has occurred uh, that we can see through early next year in terms of too much supply. So we have three, four, five years. you know, before we even sort of level off in terms of product coming to market,
0: so supply got out ahead of demand, but there's still demand, is what you're saying.
1: Absolutely. So this is what's happening. Um, you know, uh, you know, valuation is you know a huge part of the art world, uh, I, I assume. And and uh, you know, if you if you look at when a, um, if you look back at sort of peak new development, I said two two thousand fourteen, or peak pricing, that was where Prices and value were about the same, you know, give or take a little bit, and what happened was value you know the dollar got stronger uh, value and, and also to not only the dollar got stronger, but about that time, um, you know it takes two to three years for a project to sort of rise from the earth uh, to be you know and we had this visceral landscape of towers everywhere and cranes and and buyers are looking at that now. They're looking, they're in a model apartment, they're looking across the horizon, they see 27 towers, and it's, what it did was it removed the sense of urgency. So in a very short order, the value dropped sharply from price, and there was a spread, and you know, the spread is probably somewhere between five and 20%. In,
0: uh, in a sort of bid-ask standoff,
1: right? Absolutely, so what does the seller do when um, the buyers constantly come in low, you know, they take, they take one and a half to two years to capitulate. Uh, the same thing happens with a single family, uh, you know, just a standalone home somewhere. They have a price, and, and anything less than that, they're, they're like, they're losing, they're giving it away. And I think that's what we, we have now. Only now in 2016 is it much more openly discussed, and we are seeing... Um, a lot of developers negotiate, but they're not cutting prices publicly, they're just one-offs. And, uh, and, and I think in real estate, I don't know if the same applies to art, art but when prices rise, the perception is, oh, they rise, they're they going to rise forever. When sales fall, they're going to fall forever. There's, it's very linear. And what you see now is, uh, is that you have this negotiation, and there are plenty of buyers, just not at 2014 prices. That's the whole misnomer about this. The assumption is, you know, hey, the super luxury market is dead. No, it's not. It's just the, 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 the bid-ask spread is too wide, and we're now starting to see that, but there's still too much supply.
0: Well, it's, it's interesting because that anchoring is the key to both of these markets. I mean, nobody has to um, buy one of these uh, apartments to ha- put a roof over their head and no one has to buy uh, a painting. Right, they're not
1: buying a $100 million apartment because their kids going to go to school in the fall and they've got to buy it over the summer. It's just, it's, it's one of their seven homes worldwide. And,
0: and, I, and I think you see that um, in the sense that when there is something on the market that feels like it is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, you can get people off the mark and make a decision. Uh, The problem with the the art market is so much has risen. Most of the people who own these valuable objects, unless there is a death or some other exigent circumstance, there is not a great reason to sell because they either feel like they've got plenty of other money and they like having the art, or if it grows this much, it'll be worth more sometime later in the future. Exactly.
1: So, So what happens in the meantime... As the seller adjusts to the new market, the transaction volume drops sharply, right? And that's what we're seeing in the super luxury. The problem is is that um, when people look at markets like Manhattan um, or LA or Miami, markets that I cover, I do a series of market studies for Douglas Elliman, a big broker here in New York, you see this pattern where Observers of the market see that market through the eyes of a hundred million dollar apartment and what that market is. And what's interesting about that, so in a market like New York, uh, you know, five million and up is sort of the, the soft spot, the, the super, what, what i sort of define as the super luxury threshold. But in the second quarter of, or uh, in the third quarter of this year, what we published, 17.4% of all sales in Manhattan sold above ask. So what happens is, and what we're seeing nationally with housing is, housing prices, are the market is very soft at the top and tightens as you move lower. And the reason for that is all the new product came on, was skewed to the top, and the lower end of the market where we're seeing incredible job creation and population growth, uh, that's a static housing stock. So what happens when the supply is Fixed and demand rises, prices rise, but but not at the top. It's the other way around.
0: So you can't afford that um, penthouse or the small townhouse, but you will pay extra for you know the classic six just because you know that there's really nothing you can afford above you, and you're kind of stuck in this band, and you might as well spend a little extra money because you
1: can't get up to that next level. That's, that's absolutely correct. And on, on top of that, while you're trying to buy that classic six apartment, there were 30 other people that have submitted bids, and they're filtering out who's paying cash, who's getting a mortgage, and it goes, you know, and that's how it kind of goes. And, um, and that is not what's happening at the top of the market. So you have this significant but, but those, polarization.
0: But those people are getting some sort of psychological effect from seeing the top of the market, some confidence building. You, you may not be ever be in the place to buy a $10, $15 million apartment, but if you're shopping for a $2 million one, it's the, the sort of climate that you're in that makes you make decisions based on that?
1: Well, you know, I, I think there's something to that because even with this correction at the top of the market, um, and there is some concern, you know, Wall Street's big term in this cycle is contagion. You know, does it, you know, it's like a wedding cake, you know, lay, layers and layers, and the top melts, does it melt into the layers below it? And there is some of that happening, but it's taken longer because the top of the cake, so to speak, was so much further away from the rest of the market than everything else.
0: Well, it also the, the 5 million and up apartments uh, are not being discounted to three, so that the person bidding Absolutely on the two and a not. half moves up and opens up. No, spot. you're seeing
1: discounts of between five and fifteen percent. That's why I view, you know, sort of the, you know, sort of the generic, you know, every building is different, and you know, the initial pricing they had uh, may have been ridiculous or, you know, right on. So that determines how much the discounts that necessary to come to market. But um, the other, what's interesting about uh, the New York market is that we're, we're actually seeing um, uh, sales activity has, because of the new development space uh, being soft, you know, has dropped uh, uh, quite a bit, uh, somewhere between every quarter for the last four or five quarters, somewhere between 14 and 20, 21%, which is big year-over-year decline. However, it's still about 19% above the 10-year average. So what we had in, during this boom in 13, 14 and early 15 is uh, you know, basically uh, you know, heavy, heavy volume um, across the board and what the market is doing now is resetting. Um, activity levels are not what they were but they're still higher than longer term averages, at least for now.
0: For so the developers here in New York, and even for the people doing the big spec houses out in L.A., and I'm assuming the developers in Miami, which yeah. seems to be in the same sort of phase too, yeah. lots of supply, some demand, but you know everyone kind of in a standoff uh, over price. Um, is is there a, a time pressure, or is there a you know a horizon they can like? tough it out for 10 months, but, but two years
1: is gonna kill them? I mean, is there, is there uh, some capitulation
0: that we might uh, expect on the uh, horizon?
1: Absolutely, I, I think it, it, it's, it's project specific. So there's, a, there's many ways to look at it. One way is, when did they buy the land? Because, because uh, that determines, you know, the reason that we're seeing all this high-end development in these markets is land prices are at unprecedented highs. Mainly because we just came out of the the biggest housing boom in the modern era a decade ago, and the sort of low hanging fruit has been picked over. So, uh, uh, and technology has changed, uh, meaning um, civil engineering and architecture, where they can build buildings that are twice as tall as they used to be on a smaller piece of property. All of a sudden, that becomes very expensive. So that's been that's been a key. Uh, determinant of, of um, how, how much the building had to be priced at, and ultimately the market could no longer support those prices, so demand softened. But if you bought the land a decade ago, your going in costs, or if even five years ago, your going in costs are much lower, and therefore you have more wiggle room, more staying power. What's a little bit different from this than the last cycle is that there wasn't the same you know, heavy use of mezzanine finance, sort of second, secondary financing, and um, the staying power is longer, but it varies. So some of these projects broke even at forty percent sold. You know, they very early on. So now they they want to sell out before all the other projects come on behind them, but they don't want to give away the store.
0: They, they if they broke even, every sale they make, they wait for is more profit. So it's worth waiting. Correct, for and
1: and and they're. You know the 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 time value of money at the low rates is much less than it was, say, in the last cycle. Uh, What I when I um, when I think about what what's going to happen, so you have projects in these high end projects that are branded at. very differently than others. So you have brands like Baccarat and Four Seasons and Satai that have a global audience. Uh, there was just a project in Florida, in Miami, announced that uh, well, they did have the Porsche tower. Now they have an Aston Martin tower, right? So, so you have um, you know, this discernment in branding. Um, because the market had expanded so widely, I suspect, that you're going to see those brands have a distinct advantage during the period of excess supply. And they may fare well at the expense of the others that don't have that association. They're just more expensive.
0: Well, that's a little bit like um, in Miami, the Faena development.
1: And I mean,
0: I think we're seeing broadly the use of art both uh, in the building projects, you know, as public uh, 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 sculptures, Anchoring the the, the projects, maybe commonly owned if it's a residential uh, a project, and certainly in the staging of the very high end apartments now, we're seeing that you know the use of art as a a signifier, a way to distinguish. Uh, that this is somehow a unique property. right uh, so the property may not be a work of art, but it's certainly filled with wor- wor- works of art that that may be for sale as part of the transaction
1: right. and and one of the one of the things that we saw in this cycle, and we saw in the last cycle, was what I call Star which would be sort of name brand architects as um, almost, you know, over time, it becomes the minimum barrier to entry at the high end. Like, if you don't have that, then you're just not—you consi- know—it's you're just not considered as you know, uh, sort of an upper tier type project. It's that gives you the A rating instead of the B rating, so to speak. And um, and we saw a lot of that. And there was a sort of minimum barrier to entry. Whereas, you know, every project now has that. You know in the super luxury space so then now they're on top of that you need something else to discern And I think that's where this sort of you know luxury branding from global established brands might carry more weight to Investors than you know ones that don't have that
0: uh, to investors or to the buyers well to buyers, buyers Which could be in
1: you know in fairness when I say investor I think of you know to me if someone owns seven houses around the world it's not that they're, you know, some, you know, they're, you know, yes, maybe some of them are, you know, or, or many of them may be renting them out. Um, the ones that aren't, uh, because the market at the high end rental market is extremely soft, because so much investor product has come on, even at the high end. Um, but I still see them as investors, as opposed to owner occupied and second home.
0: Uh, because I just, uh, you were earlier talking about the way the financing has changed for the buildings. And I was wondering if you were saying that the banks are um, more forgiving than the Wall Street money or less forgiving, oh, less uh, wiggle room I than see. the Wall Street money.
1: So uh, it depends on the market. So like in Miami right now, and this is, I don't have it aggregated yet by price point, but um, but overall, uh, in the, you know, for example, in Miami Beach, 65% of all transactions are cash. In Manhattan, it's about 45%. Now, to be fair, nationwide, it's about 30%, but lots more foreclosures and that sort of thing that are in the mix. At a much lower level. At a significantly lower price point.
0: Well, do you, do you think that this Department of Justice um, pilot program has had any effect?
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I, I think, um, but but it's almost impossible to test it because the market had already stalled before it was put into place. Uh, there was a series of New York Times front page articles, one of early 2015, and then there was one a year later. Um, and, you know, initially the whole idea was that it was temporary. You know, it was a six-month program. And, um, you know, the the whole idea was that it was designed to Prevent, um, I can't think of the term, it's a kleptocracy, which is this whole other field now of analysis, which I didn't realize. Um, Look, the,
0: the, the Times deserves a lot of credit in that investigation that centered on the Time Warner Center yes. uh, uh, development. The figure who came out of that, uh, Joe Lowe, for both numerous real estate purchases and art purchases. Has gone on to uh, be seen as a, a sort of central figure in the one MDB uh, right. uh, issue. So they got that fairly early. Right. Now, that may be. That may be just because that's an anomaly right. rather than he's indicative of a larger class, which is what the article was trying to. Uh, right. suggest. Well.
1: Well, that's the thing. So. So. Um, you know, they they did a deep dive on. I forget how many, I want to say like 15, you know, um, buyers and, and, and they cracked the LLCs and it was impressive. Um, the the My only hesitation was, and um, is that, uh, you know, it, it characterizes anybody that pays all cash. You're almost shaming people for paying all cash that you're somehow, you're hiding something. And
0: this is the same problem with the Panama Papers. It, it as if it is, uh, prima facie uh, sign that you were doing something illicit because you were using an llc or using an offshore company correct
1: or correct I, I agree and 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 so i was thinking to myself you know uh, very wishful thinking you know if i were a billionaire and i had a, a family i mean i have a family but you know and we're you know i wanted to buy you know, my kids each a 10 million dollar condo and just pay cash i don't need a mortgage or whatever all of a sudden, I end up on a government list, and um, and I'm doing something wrong. When really, I'm buying through LLCs because I don't want the world to know that my children live in these different buildings, or that I, my wife and I live in a building. Or
0: you don't want people just tracking what you're doing right. through those public registries. So you create an LLC, so you at least have some privacy behind. Right.
1: So so I think so. I certainly appreciate and understand it. Um, um, I I felt I. I I felt it was a it was it was a little bit of an overreach because it was applied to anybody paying cash uh, over three million dollars in Manhattan, which is eighty percent of the market, literally. Uh, uh, but on the other hand, I certainly understand it. And the same thing in Miami, it was one million and over. and uh, you know, it's the same sort of thing. So So it's hard to say whether it 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 caused the slowdown because the slowdown was already here. So to measure it, but um, now they're you know, embedding it, and it's, um, it's here to stay.
0: Uh, what other cities uh, do you see becoming these kinds of markets? I mean, I'm assuming in this conversation, what we're really talking about is real estate markets that have become global. Uh, uh, you know, and, and you can think of a handful uh, around the world for a variety of reasons, some that there's you know, like Hong Kong or even Dubai, where there really is no... Local population, but there's so much business right. there, there right. that you would need need to have a, a an expat real estate b- market. And and London and New York have become sort of famous for being these you know new, vying
1: for first place, first and second place, right? But very differently, it
0: it, it seems. I mean, you know, in, in part because I guess New York has always uh, sort of attracted uh, the pe- pe- piedpiparians, you know, the people with a second home.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so. Um, I see this, this is absolutely a global phenomenon. This is not unique to New York or Miami. I cover, uh, in my market research, uh, LA as well. Um, I don't cover San Francisco, but I follow it. The way that I look at it right now is largely it's a coastal US phenomenon in metro areas. But it is clearly, um, you know, it's it's large cities in the Midwest as well, Chicago for sure. Um, yeah. You know where you have Canadians, you know, like it doesn't have to be just on the coastlines. But that's where it seems to be the biggest. Um, but the same thing is happening in in uh, in most of the large cities in Europe, in Hong Kong. I'm I'm speaking in Shanghai next month. I did it last year, and the demand for real estate uh, abroad is insatiable there, even with government. Uh, controls. Um, uh, so so yes, you know, for example, the Chinese were the have been the big player in this last cycle and and there's definitely you know been a pullback uh, you know with foreign buyers. They're still a huge part of the market, but they're not what they were. But, but just because that's true in New York, uh, we're going to have record, uh, real estate investment in the U.S. from the Chinese this year, which was a record last year, which was a record the year before. So just because they're not necessarily active in these, what they're doing is they're looking for upside opportunities.
0: Because it's an investment. It's, it's an a-
1: investment. It's not. It's not all about you know what we were talking about earlier about uh, sort of you know bragging rights. I want to have the, the highest floor in the building and all this.
0: But that makes a market like San Francisco. Which is notorious for having uh, pressures unrelated to global. Uh, the rental market uh, yeah, is crazy. And just a, a, a prevention of a development, uh, yes. community, you know, outrage, and and the explosion of Silicon Valley. I mean, those combination of forces makes uh, San Francisco not even a potential Vancouver because you just right. couldn't build the towers that they've done. Right,
1: right. And the one big luxury tower, the name escapes me right now, uh, is sinking. Yes. Yes. So now is sinking, but you're in an earthquake zone. So I I never really understand the rationale for that, but but you know I don't I don't know the market as well.
0: But <laughs> does that mean like um you mentioned Hong Kong uh, is Singapore so ready already so overpopulated that it's hard for you know it to become a kind of an investment destination? Um, it
1: actually already is. There's a lot of of what I call bank sa- what I called bank safety deposit boxes. There's a tremendous amount of that in Singapore, a tremendous amount in Hong Kong. Um, uh, many of the the, sort of the big urban centers in Southeast Asia are already seeing that. And what's sort of as a sidebar is, uh, you know, Australia went through a big, uh, and New Zealand went through a big housing boom like the U.S. did in recent years, even starting before uh, the U.S. did, um, that the uh, Asian investors went their first sort of geographic proximity, I think, is part of it and And also the west coast of uh the u s New York was sort of step two and and uh I had last year two thousand and fifteen I had three big uh Australian developers call me and say, you know they've been tapped out there there's no more like to build uh, you know it's become cost prohibitive and the Vast majority of their developments have been absorbed by the Chinese, and now they're exploring other places in the world to develop, just because they've been oversaturated from this phenomenon. It's it's quite a story.
0: And and is there any American money, U.S. money, going to uh, these other cities the same way? America? There
1: is there is now. Um, I I'm hearing I'm getting feedback from developers and v- investment groups. Uh, for example, South America, we're seeing that um, uh, just because of the strength of the dollar. It just makes sense. Um, uh, it'll be interesting to see how Brexit plays out, right? Uh, you know, it hasn't happened yet, and so we don't really know. Uh, but but uh, it's favorable for external investment coming in.
0: And it doesn't seem for all of the other financial issues going on in the global economy the savings rate, or production of savings, the savings glut that they, they periodically talk about, uh, seems to be uh, you know sort of perennially with us.
1: Right. It it sure does. You know, you know. I, I think we're going to have, uh, and you know, my crystal ball is held together with duct tape, so I am no I'm not credible, but but my my gut is that we're going to be in a low interest rate environment for. More than a decade, if not decades, uh, like this is a fairly permanent until something structurally happens that that changes it. And as a result, I think you're going to have continuing distortions in assets um, as investors are looking to you know benefit from you know tax advantages and appreciation on assets, um, and that's going to probably skew continue to skew global wealth. You know, you know one of the, um, you know, the, big, the big patterns we've seen in the US is that in you know, the top 7% of the market, the net household income has risen over the last decade something like 30%. And the 93%, uh, the remaining 93% uh, net household income has fallen something like 3%. So there's, there's been this widening distortion because of monetary policy with um, low interest rates and assets like art and um, and real estate end up being sort of in the mix.
0: No, I think it is, and this is probably the perfect place to, to stop. But these seem to be parallel phenomena of sort of the end of um, uh, finance or cash, right? You know, well, you you can own stocks and you can own bonds, but no one looks at them and thinks that they're really any better investments. Than tangible assets of one sort or another, and certainly the people who are topped up on those who are still generating excess income don't need to keep buying into the you know those global markets uh, right. financial markets, so they're, they're, that money is spilling out over into these other because
1: it's looking for a home and uh, no pun intended, it's looking for a home, and those homes become much more expensive because there aren't enough assets to buy, and that's the situation we find ourselves in now. Thank you so much. That was perfect. It was a pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to the Artelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com.